Morning, everyone, and welcome to the Wagon Wheel, the podcast that answers your questions on cricket. Someone's questions on cricket. Questions on cricket, I suppose. I'm Jared Kibber. Uh, as always, the best way of answering, oh, answering questions. I don't know the best way of answering questions. I've never quite worked it out for this show. Uh, the best way of asking questions is via the Patreon. So it is Jared Kimber. Uh, no, it's not. I'll start all that again. It's patreon.com forward slash Jared Kimber. And there's a, a, a bunch of different tiers there that give you different kinds of access. Um, and I think it's the second tier that allows you to ask questions on this very show. Also, if you're listening here and you come all the time, Please head over to goodareas.co. Uh, sort of, we've had an upgrade of recent times. I'm sure there'll be some more changes as well. But, uh, you know, please come over, subscribe to goodareas.co. Uh, plenty of stuff over there, especially if you like the stuff we talk about there. It's probably just written better on the, on the website um, than it's said right now by me stuttering. Ian says, which of England's three young spinners looks most suited to go on, be given a go in English conditions this summer? I mean, I suppose the two all-rounders make a little bit more sense. Uh, we don't know where, what Jack Leach is up to. Um, I don't know what his, how long he's going to be out for or anything else. I think if you were going to have an, uh, an English uh, spinner this summer, they might go Will Jacks or Liam Dawson. Uh, but if they do want to try one of the younger players, I suppose you would... Hmm. I wonder if Tom Hartley isn't maybe the best option of the three. Um, if... You really, I think you really want Ryan Ahmed as your fifth bowler. Whereas I think at the moment, if Tom Hartley was your fourth bowler, um, I, I suppose you could slip that by. Um, it's a good question, though. Uh, but I don't think Shell Bashir. Ali says, is it right to quantify the pitch behavior after the match is over so that when people look at the scorecard after some days, we can judge performance according to how the pitch behaved? I think Crickviz have something like this, but it doesn't work for Indian matches because the BCCI don't allow the pitch starter to come out. But uh, for everywhere else, I think Crickviz have that available to them. It's not just the pitch, though. It really is, you know, as the ball stops swinging, uh, is the ball got softer, um, is the ball wet? Uh, what, what else could it be? You know, I suppose breezes could change. Um, might stop seeming and start seeming. Yeah. Sometimes pitches just go in one direction and, and more often than not they do, but sometimes they kind of change wildly. I mean, this wicket I thought was a perfect example of that, of looked like you wouldn't be able to bat by day two or three. And actually most of the time teams could, act, or both sides could could bat on, on the surface um, when the ball was not hitting a crack and even when it started to hit a crack. So yeah, all those things um, can be accounted for. I, I suppose the better way of looking at it though, Ali, is just the... Um, Taking the pitch out of it a little bit, you would look at the expected averages from uh, Crickviz makes a lot more sense because you know which ball you're facing. So it doesn't really matter if the pitch has changed. It's has if this ball's kept like let's say the Ben Stokes one in the first innings. Uh, I suppose your expected average on a ball like that is like one or two, um, and so we don't really need to know what the pitch is doing at that stage. We just need to know that it was unplayable, and that probably makes more sense when taking in all the context. Ruta says, and asked George, what are we talking about George Dobell? Bastard. <laughs> uh, well, he was asked about how India drew the 2019 Ashes 2-0 and eh? how England drew the 2019 Ashes and lost 3-1 in India in 2021 and how before COVID, England actually had some fairly decent results. Is it fair to say that baseball has actually just brought England back to parity with how they were playing just before they stopped having batters in tests not named Joe Root? Um, or are they even better than that? I, I think 
Okay. Yeah, I think you wrote India, Rudra, but you meant England. Um, as I don't remember England um, during the Ashes. I thought Australia gave away the 2019 Ashes, so I thought Australia were pretty poor. I thought, uh, sorry, I, I thought England were pretty poor in that series. Uh, in The 3-1 result was one wicket when Ashwin and, no, Ashwin played. Akshar and Jadeja didn't play, and Kuldeep, I suppose, if you want to throw that in now. Uh, and England won, you know, won a very good toss there, but they were not a good side throughout the rest of that. Um, so if we compare that to what they're being able to do now, I think the bowling attack was probably better at times, uh, you know, during that period, but they didn't have any batting at all. Basball probably, yeah, overall maybe has got them more back to parity, but it also just gives them more options, right? You know, if they would have thrown a young spinner in in 2021, it just wouldn't have worked. Right, they wouldn't have been in a situation to put any pressure back on India. Um, so, so yeah, I do think that uh, that is fair. But, but also, just in general, if you're a good bowling team, uh, you should be. It doesn't really matter if you have batting. South Africa is a very good example of this because you keep yourself in a lot of games. And I think what was happening with that team is it was aging out. You know, Broad was aging out. Anderson was aging out. Um, they weren't replacing some of the other players coming through. And because of that, I think, and and because of the lack of runs, I think even when Anderson and Broad were good, they probably weren't getting, especially overseas, they weren't getting as many overs out of them and they weren't getting the same kind of impact. And if you go back to that 2021, they had Mo and Ali and they had Jack Leach available for them at that stage, right? They've just done, at this, they've got the same result here on um, while while still playing clearly much better cricket with Shoaib Bashir, Tom Hartley, Ryan Ahmed, I think that tells you that this is, this is a better side. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I said this. I, I, we all got excited after the first seven Test matches, and before this series, I put up a graphic that showed that since then, you know, when they lost that Test to New Zealand that they shouldn't have won, there's been a regression, right? <laughs> I don't think everyone else noticed the regression as much, but it was it was clear that this was not as strong a team as we had once looked at um, or once thought. It's still a bunch of flawed players, but they found a way to give themselves a chance. They could have been two all in this series, right? That last team, I don't think that that last team ever would have been two all in a series like this. Uh, Richard says, picking from the 500 Test Wicket Club, make a five-man T20 bowling attack. I would pick Murali, Kumble, McGrath, Ashwin. Um, I'm not sure I would pick as my second team or my fourth spinner. Uh, who do you have? Okay. Um, would you have Murali over Warren? Depends if what Murali could bowl the Dusra. If he can't bowl the Dusra, you probably prefer to have Warren because Warren would still be able to bowl the wrong one for you. Um, you would certainly have McGrath. wouldn't have Anderson. You wouldn't have Broad. Um, do you have Walsh? Probably makes more sense, doesn't he, in, in that in that lineup. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's the um, the right one. Uh, in ODIs, yeah, maybe in ODIs, I'd have to go back and have a look. I, I think Jimmy Anderson has a pretty good record in ODIs, doesn't he? Am I not? Am I remembering that correctly? He um, uh, let's have a look. Hundred ninety four ODIs, bowling average twenty nine. No, not as good as I remembered. Okay, maybe it was Shul Broad. I was thinking of. But yeah, you'd probably be Courtney Walsh in ODIs anyway. And would you want? And you would probably, Kumble would probably go out of ODIs and it would be merely a Morn, I would have thought, um, in, in that kind of situation. 
That's off the top of my head. Jake says, do you think the WPL could become the biggest women's sports league soon? It might already be. <laughs> uh, I feel like it starts less behind football than the IPL did. Also, the distinct windows help too, unlike football. Far easy for both RCB teams to play all their games at Chinaswamy. Yeah, Man United to watch every men's. Yeah, it, I think that's all fair. It's how it grows I find interesting because it can't go in the other direction. It has to go back towards February and January. Does that mean that it has, it has, so it has to be a lot bigger than the Women's Big Bash, which I think is probably fair. Um, but th is that going to work for Indian cricket? Is, you know, is that going to be in the right situation? I mean, I think you make an argument. It almost started as one of the biggest leagues in the world anyway. So, yeah, I, no, I do think it will be. You know, WNBA has always had its struggles. Women's Premier League is obviously doing quite well. Take away the tennis, you know, WTA and, and the uh, women's uh, PGA. I don't, is women's European golf big as well? I'm not, I'm not as um, sure about that. And um, what else would you have? Netball leagues are all kind of split up. Yeah, those are the ones off the top of my head. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Satchmo says, is the story of the series in India essentially what happened in each third innings? England's third innings totals in this series were 420, 122, and 145, and India's were 430 for four. Even when England batted first at Ranchi, their second innings lost them the game. Uh, I think the story of Basball is the third innings. And I've been saying that for a long time. I think England have been very, very good in that third innings. And I don't think other teams have been against them, which has given them a huge advantage. And I've talked about this quite a lot. And and I was I would have done it in this test match, but the it kind of it kind of finished so quickly I never got a chance. So I might do it in the next test match. But I think if you go back, when England have been at their absolute best, it's the ability to destabilize the opposition in that third innings, mostly through bowling, um, you know, occasionally through batting as well. Um, but yeah, no, I do think that third innings is really, really crucial in there because they they need to set up a situation where they can chase 400 and they also need to be in a situation where they can put enough pressure on that their bowlers can do something. And I know that seems really obvious, but they need to be in that because they're not a particularly good first innings team, right? They're not making runs in the first innings. They've been terrible in the first innings pretty consistently throughout baseball. I mean, I think I, I might've done this recently. The, the, the only team in the world, I think, averaging more in the second innings than they are in the first innings. So they really are struggling when they bat um, when they bat up front. And so they have to be very good in that. And I think India probably outplayed them. Bloody Bugger says, on the Red Ink episode with Shrenaf, uh, you mentioned that the ACB rejected Kerry Packers Channel 9 bid. In our current world, where boards scramble for every extra penny, this is hard to understand. The ECB had to lobby to remove the designated status of home test matches in England, but it seems like the ACB didn't even have this kind of hurdle. So why did the ACB reject easy money from Packer? Um... It's not the only one. The ECB and um, BCCI both had to fight to actually make more money off their cricket. The BCCI used to have to pay to get cricket broadcast up until, what, 1991, 92, somewhere around that period. Um, so, yeah, it, you're right. It was a bit weird. I think you've got to understand that cricket was run as a gentleman's club. Kerry Packer was not seen as one of them. He was seen as someone from the outside. Uh, you know, he didn't want to wear the blazer right? He, he wasn't the kind of person they were looking at being involved with. They also knew a fair bit about Kerry Packer, to be fair. He was, you know, him and his father were quite well known. I think everyone knew that anything Kerry Packer did, he was going to shake things up a little bit and he didn't really care all that much. I mean, this, 
there's a kind of a myth now that Kerry Packer is the man who got cricket is paid. No, he didn't. Kerry Packer, Kerry Packer paid them because it made sense as a business decision. He then did a deal back to the ACB and the players went back to being paid poorly again afterwards. He didn't make sure that the players were paid. Um, he cared about some individual players. He didn't care about the game. Uh, he's quite, he, he, you know, I shouldn't say he didn't care about game. He certainly cared about cricket, but he cared about cricket on his terms, right? And which is fine. We've certainly seen other administrators um, since then. But yeah, I so he just wasn't the right person um, uh, to come in. I think it, it, it's very similar. I work for TalkSport. We still get a comment every day of a test match going, uh, cricket does, it belongs on the BBC, right? Does it? Cricket existed before the BBC did. Right, cricket existed well before the BBC, and I think the BBC did a brilliant job of broadcasting on radio and TV, and, and certainly helped the growth of the game. They don't own cricket, and I think that if you go back, um, um, the ABC in Australia had a very similar thing, and I think that was probably another reason they were like, "We're not going to give cricket to this Channel Nine um, person. We're going to give cricket to. We're going to keep cricket with ABC. It's, it's the ABC's game, you know, and the ABC." In some ways, even more linked to cricket than the BBC through the um, their growth is really on the back of kind of Don Bradman and everything else, right? Like you know, there's a reason why the the locked bag uh, address if you want to send a letter to in Australia is nine 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 four. When you if you want to send a letter to the ABC, right? It's literally they cricket and and, and is even more linked. So I do think there was an issue there when it comes to that. Um, my other thing is, and I have to remember back, obviously, uh, uh, to go back, but my other memory was that Packer didn't have coverage everywhere. I've got this feeling that, like, ABC, that pretty much everywhere in the country you could watch ABC or, you know, it's not an easy country to broadcast in, as you might imagine. But the majority of the country could watch an ABC channel, which meant that cricket was available to them. My memory was that wasn't quite the case with cricket at that stage. Uh, sorry, with Channel 9 at that stage or the Channel 9 network or whatever they were. Um, I'd have to go back and, and, and think about it and, and how it worked. But that's my memory of that, that it wasn't quite 100%. And so that caused some other issues. But yeah, they didn't want, um, they wanted it to be run by them and they would look after each other. And I know there's there's a scene that Gideon Haig really hate, how, hates in the film where um, when they made the Channel 9 thing and they've got these like beautiful Cricket Australia offices or ACB offices as they were at the time. And I remember Gideon writing about it going, that was like a carp- it was like an old carpet warehouse type place that they had their offices in. So it wasn't like they had lots of money and they were hoarding it. They just weren't making a lot of money. They weren't very smart. They weren't very uh, dynamic with the way that they thought about things. Um, it, it was it was run like by older men, for older men, um, you know, as cricket quite often has been. Uh, and some of the best things about Australian cricket weren't replicated by Australian administration. You know, the the way that Australian thought about cricket and the way that it was played and everything else wasn't always like Australian cricket was. And, and to be honest, all the way through, I remember when James Sutherland was running Cricket Australia, he was, and, and, and when he retired, there were all these things about how conservative he was. Like, it's cricket in Australia has always been run re- far more conservatively off the field than it has been played on the field. Um, and so, you know, Kerry Packer was Glenn Maxwell, right? Um, and, uh, you know, they, they want to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of someone else. They wanted someone more, they wanted Chris Rogers. That's not a good example because Chris Rogers is really fantastic. But you know what I mean? Had it been another uh, person, it could have gone in a different direction. And, and also interesting that Rupert Murdoch was involved. We know that he 
is a big cricket fan as well and obviously had a big impact in, in Australian media. He could have been involved in it as well. Um, so, so yeah, um, if, if one of my funniest stories of when we first started with TalkSport, uh, doing the test matches. So we'd done the IPL for years and we'd done little bits here and there. But when we first started doing the test matches again, like you're on air and you're commentating and you suddenly get a message in your ear that Rupert Murdoch is listening. Um, and, you know, you do realise that it, suddenly, you, you know, I, you, you forget because you think of Rupert Murdoch as this, you know, billionaire in um, media mogul who changes election results, or not changes, but, you know, warps election results and warps political minds and, you know, hates climate control, all these sorts of things. And then you just, but he probably also likes cricket. <laughs> it's the same with Elon Musk as well, by the way. There's so many random people in the world that, you know, really love cricket and, and you know, occasionally it's like, was it Hugh Jackman suddenly funded a documentary on cricket? And you're like, you what now? Wolverine? Not, and that's not mentioning Russell Crowe um, uh, being Martin Crowe's cousin. Christopher says, sometimes during tight games, I will check WinViz compared to the bookies price with occasionally being quite different. Presuming bookmakers will use their own model, whose model would you generally trust more? Bookmakers. That's, and that's not slamming CrickViz or WinViz or anything like that. But if I'm going to lose millions in, or you know hundreds of millions of dollars over a space of a couple of years... Um, or, or I'm trying to earn hundreds of millions of dollars, I know that my win predictor is going to be a lot more steady um, with bookmakers. And I know most people who work within the gambling industry don't see WinViz as a particularly accurate model. I, I have never gone through them, so I don't know, you know, and I don't even know how you would check that. Bookmakers are slightly different though, uh, Christopher, because remember, they are trying to get you to bet. So it, they're not always as... It's not always a situation where the odds are – sometimes they will be there to get a certain market to bet on them or to, to stir interest, right? So it's not quite the same as, uh, as WinViz, which is trying to tell you what the state of the game is. The smart people I know in cricket uh, – hi, Rob, if you're listening uh, – but but um, and Jake and, and, and some of the other guys I've talked to recently. But over the years, you know, um, uh, you know um, – Guys from Intelligent Cricket and 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 some of the and some of the betting companies that I've worked with and um, Star Lizard that I was briefly involved with and all those they they look at the betting exchange the uh, Betfair and there's obviously ones in India uh, well yeah, the Indian fans use via BPNs and and uh, all sorts of other uh, versions of Betfair out there but the betting exchange is usually seen as a smarter more accurate. Um, uh, especially on T20 and and ODIs, because a lot of people have their own algorithms now. I would say watching Test cricket via Betfair, I felt it, it's been wildly speculative and nowhere near right all the way through. But but I still would trust that a little bit more. Um, the other thing in tight games is that WinViz really struggles in the fourth innings of Test matches specifically. Um, and they're very honest with this just because there isn't as much data in close chases and everything else. Um, so it gets a little bit crazy towards the end. William says, if you're going to design a player who would absolutely dominate the women's game, what would they look like? Elise Perry? <laughs> uh, you'd be looking for someone tall. Uh, you'd be looking for a tall left arm bowler. And what would you want as a batter? Um, probably want as a batter someone who could be powerful but skillful at the same time, I think, as a batter. So you want them to be able to hit a heavy ball but also exploit the fields um, of of uh, behind the wickets a little bit. 
maybe, maybe that's a better way of putting it rather than powerful and skillful. Everyone wants a player who's powerful and skillful. But do you know what I mean? You, I think in, in women's cricket, you can sometimes, the skillful players, we have fields for them. The square of the wicket players, we have a field for them. Um, but the players who really have the ability to dominate women's cricket, probably maybe what I'm more saying is that three, the ability to hit a length ball or even back of a length ball and power it back over the bowler's head, but also when th short third and short fine are up, manipulate the ball past them, that sort of combination of the batting. Uh, and a left-handed batter. So you want a left-arm bowler and a left-handed batter, um, uh, someone uh, who gets a lot of bounce uh, with the ball and uh, someone who can flat bat a ball back down the ground whenever is needed, but also can exploit short third and short fine being up. I think that's right. Aditya says, what is the best exhibition of reverse swing bowling you have seen live on, on, uh, live on TV or on the ground? Oh. I mean, that's... Hmm. It's a really good question. I mean, there were some Dale Stain spells, but I don't know if there's a specific spell. Uh, I mean, 2005 Ashes as a team, you know, England were incredible. So Simon Jones would certainly be right up there. I'm trying to think of someone else or something else. Uh, along those sorts of lines that would work. Hmm. Hmm. You know, Wacker, like when I was young, but I didn't understand it as much. I suppose it was a Macram swinging the ball both ways in the final, um, just from the, the skill and the accuracy point of view. It's, it's a really good question. I, I don't know. It's, I suppose it's like saying, what's the best bowling swing bowling performance you've seen? Once you've seen so many, I don't know if I have like one that naturally stands out. Um, I always like this. This is not the answer you're looking for, Aditya. But I always liked it when Steve War or, or Shane Watson was reverse swinging the ball. I lo actually love medium pace reverse swing. I've always found it really, really fascinating um, when it works well. Um, it's not obviously. It's I'm, I'm told it's harder to do when you're bowling a little bit slower, which is the opposite, of course, of fast bowling um, of normal swing. But yeah, that's always been one that's probably um, uh, made th that I always remember. Anyway, uh, let's have a quick break here. And after the break, we'll get back to more questions from the Patreons. Wagon Wheel, Jared Kimber. Robert says, what's the most reliable way you've found of comparing cricketers from different eras, or is it just pointless? Uh, what we do now, Robert, is we look at um, uh, era averages and we look at match averages. So that's the, probably the easiest way. Neither of them are 100%, but, you know, they do give you a very, very good idea of uh, whether the player, how, how good the player was for their particular era. And then the match averages can be warped sometimes by if you're on a team with great bowling or great batting. Um, but it gives, you know, you can understand if a pitch is quite flat or not um, just by looking at those numbers. So generally that's what we're looking at doing. Um, and, and then, you know, and then we look at a ratio, right? So how much better were they than the, the players of their era? You know, um, so we looked at it with Kumble and Ashwin. We did it recently, Robert. I don't know if you saw it, but era ratio, Kumble didn't stand out all that much. But when you factored in the pitches that he had to bowl on, and they were very flat pitches, you know, a lot of teams made a lot of runs playing against India in the 90s uh, into the 2000s. Uh, suddenly, his record didn't look all that much worse than Ashwin's. And there was a big swing back towards him. But Ashwin still looked better. And I think that when you go through it step by step, Ashwin just is a better bowler, but there's not as much in it as people would, would have a look at. Those are two players who are quite near eras, right? But it, it gets harder the further you go back, of course. But I, I think that's the best way of doing it. Aditya says, 
which are some of the greatest series batting performances that you can think of? Like, how high do you write, uh, rate Cook's um, performance in India in 2012 and Smith's in the 2019 Ashes? Um, I, they were both fantastic. I think Cook is. I've looked up, I've looked this up a lot. Cook was such a good player in Asian conditions and never really got the credit for it that he probably deserved. Um, obviously, um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. There's the Andy Flower one that I've always been really interested in. You know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of anyone. I, you know, I think Andy Brandt, um, yeah, Andy Flower was certainly one. Uh, oh, Mark Taylor, 1989, I think, gets slept on a little bit. And there's a Viv Richards one. Uh, 1976, uh, Viv, Viv Richards, I think, are all ones that certainly deserve to be mentioned. But the fact that Smith made 774 from four tests and had concussion and, and everything else uh, certainly deserves to be talked about um, a lot more. And I think Smith's on there a few times. And um, I think there's a Lara one. Let's see this. Yeah, where's Lara? Oh, no, it was Lara was, was the sixth test. I think those are the ones um, that, that instantly sort of um, come to my mind. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was any others. Oh, um, the Aubrey Faulkner is another one. Uh, you know, it makes a ton of runs in Australia uh, at, you know, 1910, I want to say. Um, I think that was a big deal for... South African cricket and everything else, but also not particularly easy to make that many runs in Australia. If, um, it, especially if he wasn't a great batter before. He was probably coming in. His best batting years probably would have been during World War One, so he, he missed those a little bit. Vivek says, what players do you think are the most likely to form the Australian men's fast bowling attack after start? Cummins Hazelwood. Uh, well, Joe Richardson kind of have to give up on. Um, so you got Spencer Johnson, um, why am I blanking on, on the others? Um, uh, Spencer Johnson is probably the obvious one. I suppose it's hard because it depends on when people retire, right? And when they leave. Do they? I don't think that the Australian team thinks there is necessarily a younger player who is going to come in at, at a similar age to say what Stark and Cummins and Hazelwood did. But those are the guys who could kind of jump the queue. Um, I don't know how good Xavier Bartlett is. I know he's, he's, he's done very, very well recently. Um, obviously, Scott Boland might continue to play just because he's an older player, and as long as it's still working for him, he, he might hang around for a little bit longer. Um, I did I did this list re recently, Vivek, but I can't remember. Um, I think someone else asked this. But Spencer Johnson is the most obvious answer to that. Um, and Joe Richardson, if he's fit. I mean, those are – and they also complement each other really, really well. I feel like I'm missing someone obvious though, whose name, um, yeah. Oh, and then I, I, what I'm missing is then the, the green, um, hardy, Sutherland triumvirate. Um, and how, if, was one of them going to be able to develop into a proper bowler? Um, maybe Sutherland is, is the best choice, although he's a little bit slower than the other two. Uh, Atitian says, given the penalty of one less fielder on the boundary for slow over T T20s, does that make sense for the likes of David Warner and Maxwell to bat with alternate hands between balls? That could waste a lot of time in the field moving around. The trade-off in between. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, I like this. 
Peking. This is this is this is really good. Um, yeah. So what he's basically saying is now that you you can be in a situation where um, the fielding team. This is why the field. It's not just about the fielding teams. Um, I, I think it should be for each ball. Uh, a bowler should have a certain amount of time for each ball to be able to decide um, uh, that they need to bowl in. But what he's basically saying is because the fielding team is penalized in a T20 game for you having slow over rates, why don't you slow them down as a batter by changing from right-handed to left-hand, which means that they're going to have to change the field. I, I That's a fascinating idea. Um, and yes, someone should do this. Uh, it's a shame Kyron Pollard couldn't bat left-handed. Who's the new, Ashwin? Um, yeah, let's see. James says, one controversy that doesn't seem to be spoken about much is Australia's tour of Pakistan in 1988, in which a large continent of the Australian, in, in which a large contingent of the Australian players were supposedly prepared to abandon the tour during umpiring, though they ultimately didn't. Unsurprisingly, there's very little footage or reporting from this tour available. Do you have any particular insights, info, or thoughts on this? Was it really that bad? Was it just a standard case of home umpiring? I think the Pakistani umpires were thought, I think Pakistan, New Zealand, and Australia were maybe three places that overseas fans felt the umpiring was not neutral and, and was, not, you know, you know I, I don't know how much you know, James, but the West Indies almost left New Zealand in that series that they, they lose that series or draw it that series, but the one that they, they didn't win in, in 79, 80, that period. Um, so, yeah, I think from, from that point of view, this wasn't, this wasn't a one-off. I, I think there's, I, I certainly believe that there were times at which teams discussed this and maybe it hasn't come out as much over the years and ha you don't know how serious different teams were and everything else. But but I do believe that that is certainly um, something that happened at least semi-regularly. Um, but yeah, I don't know a lot about this particular one, but there's a, you know, I suppose the reason we don't know all that much about it is because it didn't happen, right? That's generally the difference. Um, uh, but umpire, I do, I do think if you go back and you watch cricket from the seventies, eighties and nineties, the umpiring is just terrible. It's so much better now. Um, and it's not just neutral umpires, just DRS has helped a lot. And in those days you had an ump umpires who just would get test matches. Whereas now the best umpires are generally at the top level more often. Uh, Adityan says, thoughts on the Malaysia Vanu Vanuatu wide ball? I have no idea about this. I did see this question and then I forgot to look it up before I came on. Uh, wide ball. Let's see if there's anything online. Um, yeah, let's. Malaysia's strategic wide. Oh, I love it. All right. Um, so let's have a look what this is. Exploiting the. Uh, with the scores tied and victory within grasp, Malaysia opted for an unauthorized, uh, unorthodox strategy. Uni's wide ball ensured that Vanuatu's win, but aimed to preserve Malaysia's net run rate advantage, a critical factor for advancing advancing the Super Six stage. This calculated move, while within the rules, highlighted the loophole in the tournament's regulations that many have um, argued compromised the spirit of the game. Uh, yeah, the incident left. Okay, yeah. So I think you said in the thing this happened in. in I've I've seen it in a T Twenty competition. You might have said it has happened in IPL before. Um, yeah, if you're going to have net run rate as the way that it is teams are going to exploit it we saw a world cup where a world cup game where australia and the west indies um, played and the west indies didn't make any runs and australia went out of their way to score as slowly as possible um in order to um get new zealand out of the tournament and keep west indies in the tournament these things aren't new 
I think that was run rate rather than net run rate back then, although maybe it was net run rate by that point. It used to be run rate, by the way, which was even more um, the, uh, mad. But if you're going to have this, whether it be, you know, goal differential or anything else, teams will exploit it. And, you know, it, you could argue that there are probably better methods out there. And I know I have talked to people about, you know, uh, changes and everything else. But I think you could argue that there are other options in the future. But if we've got this at the moment, it's going to happen. All right, welcome back. Uh, Force says, going to miss Wagner. What are your expectations with the upcoming Australia and India, and who do you think would make the World Test Championship finals? Do you know what? I haven't had a look at it, but I, uh, John Norman and I were talking about this the other day, and John Norman said that the India-Australia series is really interesting because both now that Australia haven't won um, the Test match against uh, the West Indies, and India have probably lost one extra Test match than they expected as well, that Australia India series, they could cannibalize it. So we might be in a situation where the two best teams don't actually make it through to the WTC finals. But I haven't looked at that to see if that is uh, correct or not. But it's it, it 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 does it shows you one of the many 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 flaws of that tournament non tournament tournament um, where you have all these different situations where. We're not really setting up for the two best teams to make it in already, and then it can just gets messier and messier um, the further that we go. Will says, if India had given past touring sides these wickets, would any of them want a series? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's been a little bit in it for the seamers, so maybe once or twice Australia might have turned up with, you know, Cummins, uh, Hazelwood, uh, Stark, you know, with Lion, still only got the one spinner to put the pressure on, which I always saw in 2017 was Australia's problem. Just not, you know, up when when Steve O'Keefe, Steve O'Keefe was perfect for the the ragging pitches, but they probably needed a different kind of spinner for the other wickets to keep that pressure on. Um, yeah, but when they came back, maybe they weren't in that sort of situation. But if you go back, um, Will, and have a look, yeah, so Bangalore. My memory of Bangalore, so Australia win a Pune on just an absolutely, you know, really, really tough, tough to play on um, surface. Australia win that, which is, and then the Bangalore test, it, it spins a lot, but actually the seam has played a big part in that. Ranchi was, um, when Pat Cummins made his comeback, and that was just really flat wicket. And then the last test was actually for the seamers. So that was an Australian side who had a chance of, of winning that. Um, so we have seen teams do that before. But I think when you have – and I don't think all the Indian spinners were fit for that, were they? I'm trying to remember back to their lineup um, in that one. But it, I think when you have Jadeja, Ashwin, Kuldeep, Akshar up all fit and available to you, the pitches in India aren't going to matter because there's no spin combination in the world that is going to be up – going to be able to up, go up against that um, consistently. Whereas I think when you have the wickets that are a little bit more uneven – um, uh, that's the case. But I'd have to go back through all the different touring teams that have been over Will. I have to think back to when South Africa, if South Africa had a good lineup in any of those. Uh, 80 says, great podcast and video on Ashwin for his 500 wickets and his stats comparison with Kumble was amazing. I just talked about that a minute ago. I wanted to point out one other criteria. Kumble was very well known for his tail cleanup jobs, but during Ashwin's time, Jadeja generally cleans up the tail pretty quickly. As an Indian scarred by the late order runs i am no way demeaning this girl but it could be an interesting thing to look at my guess there addy and i can tell you exactly why i think this is the case 
My guess is that that is because Kumble spun the ball away from um, tailenders and Ashwin spins it into tailenders. And there are more right-handed tailenders than there are left-handed tailenders. So I would guess that is the case because there ain't no left-handed tailender that's going to last more than five balls against Ashwin on, on uh, consistently, right? So I would guess that is what it is. Also, the other thing that Kumble gets a big thing is, if you have a look, um, so Stuart McGill is a perfect example of this. Tail tail order players don't know how to play wrist spin. It just it doesn't work. Whereas you do get some tail order players who really play finger spin quite well. Very rare to see that with wrist spin. So I, I would answer that instantly with it, that's not particularly Ashwin's. Uh, it's just that Ashwin is not set up to go after the tail as much as Kumble. Um But realistically, while it's an important skill to have, it's harder to find players. Who, actually, maybe it's not. It, it's weird, weirdly enough. I remember when the whole Mitchell Stark thing when, when Shane Warne used to go on and on about Mitchell Stark cleaned up the tail and it turned out that they actually had a very normal, uh, both of them had a very similar record when it came to cleaning up the tail and cleaning up top order players. Um, but, but I remember looking at it, there really weren't that many players who were specialists against the tail, but you do get, and I can't remember where Ashwin was on that, on that one, Addy, but I do, I do remember having a look at that, that Ashwin was one of, Sorry, that that Hazelwood and Flintoff were two that came to mind who just couldn't bowl to the tail. And if that's the case, you do need to match them up with other players who do bowl well against the tail. But you don't want to give up Flintoff and Hazelwood because of what they can do to top-order players. Um, NC says, how much direction do bowlers get about where to bowl on a ball-by-ball basis? There, there isn't as much NC actual... What's the best way of putting it? Like... Like there isn't as much variation between a ball on a ball by ball basis that you might think, because mostly spinners trying to land it on the spot that is most dangerous for them, and seem up more or less the same. And they might have a certain batter you want to bowl at the top of off, another one you want to bowl at the top of middle, another one you want to bowl a foot outside off stump, depending on that batter's preferences. Um, but that's you're not going to be told that ball by ball. You're going to be told that once, and and you're going to do it. T20 cricket's a little bit different, just because the fields have to you know, um, I, I play a bigger part in, in, in your strategy and everything else. Um, but m- there aren't that many captains that would say, that would give you advice more than once and over on what to do. And those are the captains that field at mid off and mid on. Most captains don't field at mid off and mid on. So don't give that advice all that much. Um, so it, it's very, very rare. Uh, I've, I've started playing uh, cricket again and, and working with younger players. And, you know, I, so I, I go up when there's something to tell them. I don't just go up every ball. And sometimes they'll ask me every ball and I won't even answer them. Um, not rudely, but I'll just be like, what do you think? Because they have to work it out on their own. And most bowlers know what their best ball is. They know what their best length is. They know what their best line is. Um, and that's what they're trying to do naturally anyway. Will says, it feels England struggle when they don't have an all-rounder to deepen their batting lineup. Them and all teams in the history of cricket... <laughs> Should they have looked more closely at Liam Livingston or Sam Curran from this India series? I can't imagine. Is Liam Livingston really an all-rounder? I mean, Joe Root did play as an all-rounder. Um, but in, in Test cricket, is uh, do we really think Liam Livingston is an all-rounder? Um, Sam Curran, what are you talking about? 10 or 13 overs a match? Is it, I mean, is that a big enough change? I think they've been... I think they've had chances to win three of the four matches with the ragtag bunch that they've had. Not sure using Livingston or Curran would have made them a better side. 
Uh, Addy says, I hope you finally got some sleep. I did get some sleep. Uh, what would you say is your best analysis, please? Uh, the, uh, that you're most proud of or what to showcase? Analysis piece. I love the wicket-keeping piece because I, I think, you know, I did so much work on that and, you know, it goes back into the the kind of history and why wicket-keepers have changed and how they have changed and what that means. Um, so I do really like that. I don't know if you call that an analysis piece. Um, I did something on Alistair Cook's opening partners, which I thought was really, really interesting at one stage. Um, I, Ishant Sharma might be the another one, and Neil Wagner. I suppose those are two more recent ones, you know, videos. Um, but those are the four that kind of come to mind. I'm trying to think if I've done something really good on slow ball. I've been doing this thing on wobble ball forever, um, which, you know, one day will be released, probably be a book at this stage. But um, I think that's really, really interesting as well um, from, from, those kinds of, uh, from those kinds of things. But those are the ones that stand out to me. Um, Ishan Sharma and the lengths is something that are – oh, Akshar Patel one. Akshar Patel, so another uh, video uh, one. But there'll probably be some on Crick Info, you know, in that when I first started to get into the analysis, some of the things explained T20, it's kind of outdated at the time, but it was probably cutting edge thinking when I wrote about it six or seven years ago um, that I was probably pretty proud of at that time as well. Christopher says, sometimes during tight games, oh, I've already done that one. And we've done that one too. Uh, that is fine. All right, let's take another quick break uh, here. Yeah, no, we will. I have to take a quick break here because I need to go off and check your questions so that I can then answer them live on the YouTube. I'm Jared Kimber, and this is The Wagon Wheel. All right, welcome back. Sorry, I'm on my own today, and a lot of people have done Super Chats, which is awesome, but they, they haven't always put them the Super Chat in the Super Chat, if that makes sense. So just scanning through. Hopefully, I've got them all here. Um, uh, where are we? Uh, DM95 says, your reaction to Wagner's retirement finished with a similar record tally to Garner and Gillespie, will be remembered in that sort of company. I think he'll be remembered... Well, I think Garner should be remembered as an all-time great, by the way, as there's no one who's listened to this podcast more than three times would would be unaware. I will eventually do the big Joel Garner thing. Um, I don't know next time I'll be in the West Indies or next time I, I know where he is, but I'd love to get him to sit down with me as well and, and, and talk about his career. Um, and Jason Gillespie could have been an all-time great, I think, if his body had held up. I think Wagner is completely different because I, 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 I was about to say that. I don't think he's that different to Garner. I think him and Garner's major impact is that after they did what they did, other teams have followed it. It wasn't quite the case with Gillespie. Gillespie's more of a one of one. But um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, Wagner from that point of view, you know, I put a tweet up today of, of you know, we, we, there's, there's, I think there's three different key parts of Wagner. And if you haven't ever seen my, my major video on Wagner, it's on the main site. Still one of the most proud, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of in my career. But one thing that, one thing that I, I, I was thinking about today when he retired, and I'm sad that he's retired, and I'm glad that so many people are remembering him so fondly because when I wrote about him during his career, everyone was moaning about him. But uh, the actual, the athletic ability that Wagner had to be able to bowl the sorts of spells that he did, I think is absolutely incredible. And, you know, we should all, you know, the man was a machine. Uh, how you know how he got those sorts of spells out of his body was is phenomenal. But then you've got the outlier thinking. It's very hard, especially in cricket, to be the person who does something massively different. You know, 
you look at Benny Howe's career and it's just like people will not accept that it, his career has worked to this day. There are so many people in English cricket who'd be like, just a, just a rubbish medium pacer. They won't look at it because it isn't what they want. And Steve Smith's batting career was exactly the same at the start. And I was one of those people. In fact, Steve Smith probably has helped me to realize that outlier, you know, to, to look for outliers. And, and, and Wagner, the ability to just go, there's no point me bowling at the top of off stump. It's not my best skill. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to go teeth and toes, and I'm going to become the most accurate short pitch bowler of all time. And I'm also going to work on my, uh, you know, my, my Yorker and, and my full ball. And then even as he got older and those skills waned a little bit, he worked, he then worked on the more traditional aspect of, of swing, but he started with this sort of real outlier way of playing. And then you've got the tactical genius. Now, some of this obviously has to come down to McCullum, but those fields, I remember the first time I tuned into a, a you know, one of his spells and I was like, what are they doing? It was like late at night in the UK. You get that first session um, of the New Zealand test matches. It's a really good time. Just about, you're about to go to bed. You pop it on. It was before lunch or something. And I was like, where are these fielders? Like they, they put fielders in positions that don't exist, right? That we don't have names for. And it didn't make any sense to me. And then I watched him do it again. And I watched him do it again. And eventually I was like, oh my God, I understand this. Eventually... They are going to have to play one of the many pull or hook shots to one of these. And all these fielders are in the positions for all of those shots to go to or the fend off as well. But that combination, I just think is incredible. So I, I hope he has a big impact. Uh, well, I, I hope he has, he's remembered. There might be a lot of people who don't like him because he really is the person who made the bouncer a lot more popular. And when people just spam the bouncer like he does, especially from both ends, it can get really one dimensional, right? Like, um, I think one reason that certainly center audiences get a bit up, upset with tests in Asia is because of how one-dimensional they can be at times with, you know, and that that test match at Lords when Australia and, West, and England just bowl bounces at each other, um, the most bounces ever bowled in a test match. Come on now, right? That's, exa that's exactly the same thing. And, and Wagner had a huge part to play in that. They were there, his fields they were using, it was his tactics, but but also, I think he's freed us from just thinking the bowlers need to bowl at the top of the off stump. And for that, I do think he deserves to be remembered brilliantly. And uh, I'm going to miss him. I, I, I've never chatted to him. I know he's seen the video. I've been told that. I don't know how much he enjoyed the video. Um, but I'm just going to miss him. I, I, I love cricketers that don't do that don't follow the rules of the game and, and find their own way. And, you know, you, you partner that with a man who just would work. He just put the work in. Um, Incredible respect um, for his career. Saurabh, um, Saurabh Jaffrey Music. I'm going to say his full name here because it sounds like he's got something to promote, so good on him. Um, I don't know if you've answered this before, but who do you think will win the... Oh, um, between the 2001 Indian team, which played against Australia, and the current full-strength Indian team in home conditions? Uh, ooh, if it was absolutely full-strength... I would go this current team just because I think they they're just their bowlers are just on a different level, um, but would the would the current team would you have to have Pajara in it? I would have thought, but if you had well, I, well maybe you don't because you've got Gill now, but I yeah, I just think that bowling is Shami, Bumra, Jadeja, Ashwin, and then Cool Deep Aksha, whatever you need. I just think it's a fan such. It's just so much better than, you know, Habashan, Shranath, Zahir, um, Kumble, whoever else was in and around the team at, at that time. 
so much more power, so much more wicket taking. And I know the batting is better in that old, but I always would back bowlers over batters in those kinds of situations. But it would be a fascinating um, contest. And thank you for your super chat too. Amit says, super chat for the latest video, pure poetry. Yeah, so if you haven't seen it, we put a video up on the series so far. I just, it's, it's got a bit toxic at times. And, you know, the, the England comments have caused some problems. Um, you know, uh, it, I, I wouldn't say it's an overly toxic one. I mean, I think we've, I've certainly been involved in a lot more. India, Australia usually gets a bit worse. Um, but as a neutral watching it, it's fantastic. And I watch a lot of cricket and I, you know, don't always have a bounce in my step, right? Like sometimes you just don't and, and the cricket isn't good. And, and you, you know, you get to the halfway through the first test and you're like, I just, oh my God, I'm going to have to do four and a half more tests of this. That wasn't the case with this series at all. Uh, and in fact, I felt like a sense of sadness that it was finished. So, Amit, thank you very much for the super chat. Uh, and then we have a whole bunch that didn't come through. Don't we? No one knows, says, Cummins has 137 wickets in 34 matches, average of 21.72, 45 strike rate. Is he this generation's Ghana? And does that give him an edge over Boomer and Rabada? I don't know if it gives... So the big thing with Cummins and Ghana is the ability to be a first change bowler and still be great. I actually think Boomer could be a first change bowler. It's just that they don't need him to be like. You could actually use Boomer, looking at his first uh, his new ball spells. It actually might actually work better for him. So I think he would still be as good as Cummins if he was a first change bowler. I do think Rabada. I know they did flirt with him being a first change bowler briefly, didn't they? I want to. I can't remember if that was limited overs or, or Test cricket. Um, but he needs a new ball. So it's easier to find um, bowlers who need the new ball than it is to find bowlers who are brilliant with the old ball um, and from first change. So I, that probably gives a slight advantage to Cummins and um, Rabada. Uh, sorry, Cummins and Boomer. Um But there's not much, that much between the three of them, right? Like, if you want to make a claim that Rabada is better than the other two, I'm more than willing to hear it. Uh, if you want to make a claim that Cummins is better than the other two, I'm more than willing to hear it. And, and I think at the moment I probably have Boomer over the other two because I don't think there's a place he can't dominate consistently. Um, and Or a phase of the game with the ball that he can't be one of the best bowlers in the world. Um, but again, if you make claims for Cummins and, 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 Boomer, and Rabada, I, I, I think that's fair. I think everyone wants to know who the best is, right? I think the truth is that I heard this, there's a fantastic podcast and it, I, um, it was all about, I think it's the top 40 or top 50 basketballs of all time on the Thinking uh, thinking um, Basketball podcast. It's like, I think like a 10 episode series. And it's something that me and Andy Zoltzman want to do on the 10 best, uh, on the, sorry, on the 50 best batters of all time and, you know, do a very similar kind of thing. And I remember on it, just like one of the smartest things I heard them do was just talk about the range of players. And I think they might've done it again recently too, of, you know, how many players have a realistic claim that they could be the best basketballer in the world and, and and my son is absolutely obsessed with basketball at the moment and he's googling who the best playmakers are and who the best perimeter defenders are and and you know who runs the best pick and roll like he's like he's nine and i don't need a dna test like i'm i we know we know he's related to me and he's going through all these different details and he, he wants the definitive answers and i was like but there are no definitive answers Right, and there's a I thinking basketball might have done a, a podcast separate to the one I just said, but just on the on who could be the best basketballer in the world, and uh, best basketballer ever. And Will Chamberlain has a claim. Bill Russell has a claim. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has a claim. I think Magic Johnson probably had a claim. 
you know, maybe fitness didn't help. Michael Jordan, LeBron James. You've now got seven players with a realistic claim to be the best of all time, right? And I think about that conversation all the time when it comes to conversations like this. I think all three have a claim to be the best. And probably you would have a claim that all three could be the worst. It's a fascinating discussion. And, and I think, you know, obviously writing a book about the, the best batters of all time, I actually think it allows you to discuss the players better and understand them better and break them down to a point where you can really have a great conversation about them. Rahul with Super Chat says, how good was Pajara as a test player? Was he underappreciated by Indian fans? I think, yep. Uh, the second part, definitely. Oh, look, I think he was a fantastic player. I think he found a method to be handy away from home. And before the wickets went nuclear, probably was the best player of spin in his generation. Is that fair to say? Um, you know, Yunus Khan, kind of just before him, right? Um, who else is who else is that? And, and Virat, I suppose. Um, you know, younger Virat, anyway. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I'm missing um, on that. And then Kumar's probably slightly that generation before him as well. Uh, look, I think Pajara was just absolutely outstanding. Um and I've, you know, so someone asked me before what the best analysis was. If you go back to the, the 20, uh, 2020, 2021 um, BGT trophy, I did analysis on Rashad Pant and on Pajara and why the way they were batting was fine while all the fans were ripping shit out of them. And then by the end of the series, that came again. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes you do great analysis, and then the next two de test matches, the players make you look like a friggin' idiot, right? And the, the the level of your analysis isn't any better or any worse, but that's how these things work. Um, but no, I was a massive fan of Pajara. Um, I think when he retires, I might go back and do a really deep dive. But I remember one thing that I did with um, Amol Daisy years ago, I think. We looked at whether him batting slow had an impact on batters at the other end, and in general, whether that was a thing, and it wasn't. And I think that was a big thing that was thrown against him during his career, even by Coley. And it just wasn't, we couldn't find any evidence of a batter being slow at one end affecting the chance of a wicket going at the other end. Uh, oh, Natasha says, lots of talk about England's batting, but not so much about their bowling. I don't think that their spinners or seamers are really set up to take 20 wickets outside of England. Welcome to the last 20 years of, 40 years of English cricket? When was the last time an English team was well set up to take wickets outside of England? I know you can't answer, Natesh, but I'm waiting. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Anderson just, you know, has been handy, but Anderson and Broad weren't as impactful outside that they needed to be. Chris Wokes is probably their third best bowler, and that didn't work for them. Maybe they had a brief period around that sort of flint-off um, Harmison Giles period, uh, where they had, you know, a few different kinds of options that worked away from home a little bit better. Um, the nineties, they were pretty, pretty good. So was it Bob Willis, Botham, um, Underwood? Did they even, you know, that kind of era? It's been a very long time since England have been able to take wickets away from home. That, that uh, it's funny. That's why I keep talking about it. That's why they're doing it. I, and I think, I do think that people have kind of, um, overlooked that a lot like they know that they need to be better consistently away from home and they've found a way to actually take 20 wickets in this series at times away from home this manufacturing of wickets that i keep talking about it helped them at home partly because some of the wickets they played on during baseball just got were a little bit flatter anyway but it's really really designed to make them consistently a threat away from home Iceman says, what's your take on Sacha Tadulka? 
I felt his peak was the 90s, pre-back injury. Post that, he played a risk-averse strategy, accumulated runs. He's barely played any match-winning innings like Lara. Oh, I think he played a few match-winning innings. I, I think if, if you want to know the truth about Sachin, and this comes back to the book that we're writing, he's going to be very high, right? I think Phil Berry said the other day he wasn't the best Indian batter of, of all time. He's definitely the best Indian batter of all time. He's very high on the list, but I actually think between, what, 1988 and... 2001, whenever, uh, right? That is an incredible level that he has. And then, but he does it in an era where the batting averages are a little bit lower. And so instead of averaging 60 or 65, like say Steve Smith might have, he doesn't quite get that bump. And then afterwards, I think he's more of a above average player, but not always at a great level consistently in the 2000s. But that's an era when everyone makes runs. So his average still looks really, really good. So I think it's fascinating from that point of view. Um, I don't think he's a match winner in the way that Lara was, but I think he was motivated to make runs in every single game in the way that Lara wasn't. But one of the reasons I am going to have him very high on my list, and to be honest, Lara's going to be very high too, um, but one of the reasons I'm going to have Sachin so high on my list is the fact that he essentially played in three generations. And it's really only him and Hobbs that did it at that level. And so I think both of them have to be just incredibly high because of that. Because when you're looking at it for 20, I, th I think it's for like 18 or 19 years with Sachin Tendulkar, you have a, 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 your nation's great player or an all-time great level player available to you. And for whatever it was, 22 years or 25 years, I, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I've got them all, we've got them all down. You didn't need to find a replacement player for him. And he was considerably better than any, you know, than uh, than a, a replacement player had they found one for all that time. So if you think about it from a selection point of view, you pick him in the 80s um, and you need to worry about your other five batters for the next 25 years. That's just, that, Lara just didn't have that, just doesn't have that kind of longevity. But Lara was different. Lara played innings in a way that won cricket matches, and I think that is very, very fair and does need to be remembered. And Lara needed to be motivated. And they're different people and different humans. And, you know, I've got a podcast with Kumar Sangakara that will come out in the next, you know, week or so, or, or um, I think it might be next week. And we talk about, I tried to get to where, with, with Kumar what his motivation was. Every player is motivated in a slightly different way. And, and even he couldn't quite work out his as much. Um, some players like to win. Some players like to set records. Some players just like to bat. You know, and I think Sachin was probably more in, in that kind. Um, Big says, I love the recent Double Century podcast on the Cricket World Cup. Is there any reason why you stopped in the 99 World Cup? I, I, when I started it, I thought I would do one episode on each World Cup and we'd get pretty much through the whole World Cup. And then once I got to 92, 96 and 99, I realized that I was going to have to do multiple episodes. But also, I think after 2000 is more modern cricket and before 2000 is, especially in limited overs, is the the, um, uh, the season before. I will eventually do the other ones. That won't be a problem. Um, I'm glad that you like them. I was, I was writing all that to do a kind of, I wanted to do a kind of history of the World Cup on a video as well. So I was writing the podcast and working on the video. And then I realized that it would kill my video team if we made that video. And it would have, it would have been like a documentary. There was so much going on in that in that in that story um you know but we will eventually get to it there's no doubt about that um i i i, I want to finish all that um 
there's a bunch of stuff on the Women's World Cups that I've wanted to do as well, which hopefully, you know, me and Estelle, uh, I've got some ideas for before the, the the Women's World Cup starts as well. But yeah, would love to would love to do more of that. It's probably a book, if we're being honest. And I know there's already been some great books. Uh, uh, there was a book about the World Cup that was really, really good. And I forgot the name of it. But I want to do more from the evolution side of things and the narrative side of things a little bit more than the, you know, um, this World Cup was played here and this is a fact about this World Cup. You know, just a, a different kind of book than the other ones that have been written. Hypercore said, a tall left arm seam it can move the ball and bowl 120 would be almost unplayable for a while. She's very raw at the moment, but keep an eye on, on Sarah Kennedy. I think Hypercore might have mentioned her before. Yeah, that was when people were saying, what is your ideal women's bowler? It's just me and Hypercore both think the same thing because it doesn't exist. That's why it would be, you know, almost unplayable. Uh, and Samit had a super cat. Retro T2011, players who have played zero T20s, Viv Bradman, Aravinda, Dad Sobers, Not, Kapil, Proctor, Barnes, Ghana, Kadir, and Harper. Can you build a better team? Um, so you want a better team than that? Yeah, you don't have left arm bowler, do you? So you would put in Alan Davidson. Uh, you would probably have him ahead of Proctor, I would have thought, in that side. Um... You don't, you have Abdul, uh, Abdul Qadir, but you could put Aubrey Faulkner in. So you got more batting straight away. Um, and Richie, or you could have Qadir or Richie Benno. Um, oh, sorry, you could have um, Aubrey Faulkner or Richie Benno. You've got two leg spinners who spin it both ways. Um, who could both bat? Um, Roger Harper, you could have, but you could also, you could upgrade that with Colin Bland uh, or Clive Lloyd. Um, and that's your 12th man. That's just for their fielding, but they also give you more batting. Viv Bradman, Aravinda. So you would have Trumper opening the batting with Viv, um, and that would probably knock Aravinda out. And then instead of not, would you have Ames or, um, oh God, what's his name? The Indian wicketkeeper who played for Lancashire, whose name is, you know, like someone a bit more attacking than not, maybe, um, who could also, who was also a great wicketkeeper. Um Trying to think of someone else. Uh, but yeah, Les Ames will come in. So yeah, I think I could build a better team than that, but it's a pretty good team. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly, li I like that team a lot. Uh, Rupesh says, what will it take for Bomber to be in the same league as Mitchell Stark and Dale Stain? Is he not in the same league as Mitchell Stark and Dale Stain? Like, is he not thought of as better than Mitchell Stark already? I would have thought. Uh, Dale Stain, Dale Stain was the greatest bowler in a really bad era for bowlers for a decade. Um, I think Boomer probably still has a bit to go to get to his level of test bowling, but I think Boomer's thought of as a better bowler in white ball cricket than Stane already. Um, but yeah, test would uh, just be longevity and, and doing it over a long period of time. Boomer hasn't played many tests. Rupert says, who's, who's better MV according to you, Bevan or Klusner? MVP? Does he mean? I'm not quite sure uh, what you mean. But let's just go with who's better. Um, uh, wait a minute. My kids are coming in. Yes? Very soon. Get ready. Um, so, yeah, just having a look at that. Um, who's better? I, I mean, in his era, Bevan was incredible, and he was better for longer than Klusner. Um, but if you're talking about peak, um, I think Boomer was um, – Boomer. When we're on the brain, looking at the wrong question. Kluzner's peak was better than Bevan's. 
but Bevan as a batter and briefly a, a handy bowler certainly had a great peak as well. Um, but I think Clu- what Klusner could do, and it, Bevan was also used perfectly for what he did. Maybe you would bat him a spot or two higher now. Would he bat four now? Probably. Um, or maybe you bat him five. Yeah, no, you probably bat him four now. So, but Klusner wasn't used correctly at all in his era. And part of that was his own fault because he didn't want to be thought of as a batter and didn't want to go up the order at times. But I think if you used Klusner perfectly and if you used um, Bevan perfectly, um, I think you would prefer to have Klusner. But over the entirety of their career, I would have to say that Bevan was a better player. But if if you're looking through it of lenses of today, it's a bit like, uh, you know, to go back to it, like an old ba- a basketball um, thing that we are talking about before, you could make a claim that Jerry West or, or Bob Cousy was a better player than Oscar Robertson in their era, right? And 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 also that Oscar Robertson was. But if you look at which player would translate better to modern basketball, it's probably Oscar Robertson. And if you're looking at that, like Klusner would translate so much better to modern cricket than, than Bevan would. Um, but in their eras and, and over the, you know, the amount of games that Bevan played, I think Bevan probably had a slightly better uh, career. But that's it for the Super Chats today. Thank you to Rupesh, Samit, uh, who do we have? Natesh, um, uh, Sriram, and uh, Saurabh uh, as well. And thank you to everyone who put comments in today. We had so many from Patreon, and then we had so many Super Chats. It's, it's getting tougher to fit in just random questions, but I know there was a couple of really good ones that I saw in there, like DMs as well. So uh, thank you to everyone for uh, appearing on these lives. Uh, we'll be back again probably later next week with more lives um and then of course the school board will be back but thanks to everyone for their support please throw us a like on the way out because it helps with the algorithms and all sorts of things and if you haven't gone over to goodareas.co please goodareas.co um sign up subscribe for more of this stuff but without my voice um which some people will like and some people won't thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us, and when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vassadavan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you make a lot of content like me, you will need help. And that is why we use Minvo.pro, a slicing and dicing tool that uses AI to conjure up great clips from your podcast chats and meetings. If you make content, go to Minvo.pro to cut it.